afternoon and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet and I'm here in the studio with Lauren Landis. Josh is on the board with us. Patty will be back with us next week. She's social distancing. Uh, where is she this week? Someplace glamorous? <laughs> is Patty ever going anywhere glamorous? No. Yeah. She's home. Yeah. Um, our guest today is uh, Scott Pogancy, and Scott, if the name is familiar, was supposed to be on with us a few weeks ago. Sorry, Scott, our phones here weren't working. But they are now. Scott, are you there? Oh, okay, there you are. <laughs> I was going to try to uh, stay away for a second just to give you a little panic, but yeah, that was and, working, and, I think. Ah, and, and you did. That, that's, <laughs> that's him getting back at us for, for that. We appreciate your... Uh, Coming back a few weeks later. I was going to say, is, is Patty is Patty not here again when I'm on? This, this yeah, we schedule that purposely. A running team. Yeah, <laughs> we schedule that purposely. You know, we, we always joke about this, but it does seem to fall mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Scott's been on, what, at least five or six times now. Yeah, now Scott has been on, if, if he sounds familiar, uh, talking about the Brandon Woodruff case. Brandon's in prison uh, so far for, is it 10 years or it's more by now? Uh, 15 years now. It's 15 years oh, now wow. uh, for the murder of his parents that he couldn't possibly have committed. Uh, what convicted him was evidence like he was at S4 later that night on Cedar Springs. Yeah. Uh, basically, and they can... They, yeah, and they, they, they basically, you know, brought out that he was uh, coming out and hiding his sexuality from his church friends and his school friends, stuff like that. So because, so, so because you're closeted, that makes you a murderer. <laughs> well, he wasn't really closeted. He just was, was just there. coming out. Yeah. There's yeah. a difference. Yeah. It, no, there is. Right. It's not, right. it, it, he wasn't living his true. life closeted. True. He was just coming out at the time. He was 19. So, yeah. Uh, and there, there is other evidence. Now, you've brought us some clips of a podcast that you've been doing. Um, tell me, how would you like to work those in? Did you, do you want to start with one of those? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you want, uh, if you want, I can give everybody kind of just a real quick synopsis. Yeah, case, um, uh, give us a an intro to this. <laughs> sure. Um, so basically, um, Brandon was, as you said, a 19-year-old kid. He was very confused about his sexuality, and uh, his uh, parents ended up being murdered. Uh, he was the last person to see them, so they, um, of course, looked at him, and uh, there were some things that were going on at the time, but basically they circled in on him very quickly, and uh, within five days of the bodies being found of his parents, um, he was in jail and they were uh, building a case against him. Um, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's just crazy because of every case that I've ever looked at, this has the, the least evidence of, of any kind of culpability to his actual parents murders. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. And, and so what is this first clip that we're going to hear? Um, so the first clip is, um, this is uh, I think about maybe six or seven episodes ago and uh, one of Brandon's ex-friends named Mike Etherington, uh, he was in the interview room with Ranger Collins. Uh, Ranger Collins was the lead investigator in the case for the Texas Rangers. And this was the day after Brandon was arrested. And he was basically just trying to interview Mike to get some more information because some of the information that Mike had given to the police uh, was used to arrest Brandon. 
And it's so funny that they actually used the information first before they even did a formal interview. But uh, once they had the arrest warrant and once they had Brandon in jail, they then brought Mike in to do a formal interview. And what we're going to hear is uh, basically a, a part of that interview where Ranger Collins, I think, at, at some point kind of starts to realize, uh, holy crap, we uh, might have gotten the wrong guy. Uh. Okay, uh, Josh? Give me just a minute, Mike. I mean, oh, man, I'm sorry about that. Well? I understand looking at it now from where you are getting that. So it's just the trickiest thing now is that this computer is missing. Well, how do you know his computer is missing? Well, there's everybody said that, have you not heard that somebody had the computer, his friends, everybody, he's not, nothing to do with his computer's gone. What's that? Who's, who's saying that? My mom had told me that his computer is gone, like, Cause she said that she she said that she needed to tell y'all to get that computer. Did you catch it? If you did, you're a better detective than Ranger Collins. The reason that this is so key is that absolutely no one, and I mean no one, knew that there was a computer missing, except here. Not one. So the only person that would know that there was a computer missing would be the person that took it and I can attest after looking at the crime scene photographs that it would be completely irrational and inconceivable that anyone could go into this house to steal a computer without noticing the two people dead on the couch it can only be reasonable to assume that if someone stole a computer from that house between the time that they died and the time their bodies were found that the ones that took the computer were also the ones that killed Dennis and Norman. How this fact got past Ranger Collins is absolutely beyond me. This should have been caught and should have been investigated. The level of police work done in this case is absolutely disgusting, and the one moment that proves it more than any point is this. There's a person sitting right in front of you, telling you that there's a computer missing from your capital murder crime scene and you just go on like nothing happened. What in the literal hell? If anyone has any explanation as to how Mike or his mom would know that there was a computer missing from the crime scene, please let me know. I'm very eager to hear from you. Okay, Scott, you know what uh, Laurent and I were just saying? Mm -hmm. uh, we like that you use music we, as a bed. We, we love the music. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we try to, you know, uh, one of the things that, that's obviously a challenge anytime that you're dealing with a format that's just audio is, you know, trying to make it interesting for people to listen to. And that's been an, uh, a very uh, uh, challenge, challenging thing to do. Um, to, you know, because personally, I think I'm the more, most boring person in the world. So to, me just sitting up there and talking for 45 minutes, you know, I, I feel like I have to <laughs> put no. some things in there that interest people. <laughs> no, you're not, it's, Scott, at it's all. It's an interesting case. What Laurent and I do to make up for that is we just st say whatever is on our minds and bizarre things come out of our mouths <laughs> they sometimes. That range of stuff. Yeah. Um, but th but th that is, th th that's a huge key. That is, like, huge. So that that um, 
Brandon's counsel or anyone pressed this fact? This is new evidence, isn't it? Uh, well, I mean, no, this was evident. I mean, this was, again, this was something that was the day uh, after Brandon was arrested. So the, the, the interview was there. The problem is that the state never called Mike as a witness. And when that is, when that's the case, you can't really uh, cross-examine things that he says unless he says something that is exculpatory to Brandon. Now, you and I, listening to it now, and analyzing, you know, kind of armchair quarterbacking it, you know, we sit there and think, well, wait a second, if this person knows that there's a computer missing from a capital murder crime scene and, you know, nobody else would know, then that would say, okay, wait a second, this is proving that somebody else was there and, and it was probably the people that are, you know, saying that this computer's missing, but uh, I don't know if they just, you know, missed it or if they for some reason couldn't uh, introduce it. I'm not sure. I'm not an attorney, so I can't, <laughs> I can't say for sure. But, yeah, I mean, obviously there's no way that, per that someone's going to know that there's a computer missing unless they were the ones that took it because nobody else in the whole world, not the family, not, you know, nobody knew that there was a computer missing. But did the police actually release this recording before the trial? It they was, released it to the defense, yeah. Oh, okay. To the okay. Like, public. And, okay. And, so and, it was and, out there. And you don't know if the defense press, like, jumped on this big Yeah, item. I don't know. I haven't actually asked um, Captain Ferguson, who's our uh, the person that was uh, Brandon's trial attorney that we talked to. Um, he had two trial attorneys, and the other one, Jerry Spencer Davis, he's uh, since retired and refuses to talk to me or anyone else about the case, but... Uh, but Captain Ferguson has um, been amazing to work with and given us everything that, that we've asked for and given us a lot of time to, because she she says, and she'll tell you, that this case still haunts her today because she absolutely, positively believes that Brandon's innocent. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm not sure what... Uh, I'm not sure if this particular um, item... You know, I've never, I've never pressed her and really asked her, mm -hmm. you know, hey, why didn't you use this more? Or was there a reason we couldn't use this or, or whatever? But, you know, it's just something that I found. There were several things that I found going back and kind of, like I said, armchair quarterbacking and mm -hmm. then uh, looking at information and taking the uh, infinite time that I have, right, to, uh, <laughs> to go back and analyze all of this uh, evidence. So, now, what this adds to is uh, for somebody who hasn't heard anything about this case before and didn't hear those other shows that we've done um, the crime scene was gruesome I mean it was just very bloody mm -hmm. so for somebody to have walked in like you said and just taken the computers and not noticed two bodies with a room that was covered in blood uh, is beyond reason um, is there a possibility, though, that somebody else could have taken this computer? Is, is there anybody else who could have taken it uh, that Mike would have been in touch with, like Brandon's sister? Um, I mean, it's always very possible that, uh, you know, that they could have just heard through the grapevine or, uh, or heard, you know, that someone else took this computer and 
but that was not the information that Mike was giving up. You know, the, the there wasn't a grapevine, though. I mean, what grapevine would there have been? Because nobody, it's a crime scene. Nobody could get into the house. Right, exactly. And that's, and that's what I'm saying. This is, you got to remember, this is only six days after the, uh, the bodies were found. So there was, uh, there was very little information. In fact, Brandon was, um, was interviewed I think two days before this particular interview, right before he was arrested, and Ranger Collins said something about, you know, um, uh, there was no struggle and, you know, the gunshots were, were very quick. And Brandon turns to him and says, wait a second, are you telling me that my parents were shot? Like, at this point, they didn't, that family, nobody even knew really, you know, what was going on uh, with the crime scene. So. Yes, you're exactly right. For somebody to know a, an intimate detail like this, that there's a computer missing, uh, it would be impossible for... And one of the other details that's uh, kind of important is uh, the crime scene part of it, the bathroom, was cleaned up because there's blood all over the place and then all of a sudden the bathroom was wiped clean. And exactly. Because there, was, there was a whole trail. Yeah, there was a whole trail of blood that was dripping... Uh, from the couch to the uh, guest bathroom, and then in the guest bathroom was literally cleaned so well that there was not one trace of DNA, not one drop of blood, um, which shows obviously that that bathroom was cleaned, you know, very well and took a lot of time to, somebody took a lot of time to, to clean it. And as we discussed in the podcast, Brandon that night there was only 14 minutes where he was quote unquote unaccounted for and you know the state to contend that he you know even even just the fact that he cleaned this this bathroom so well in 14 minutes is 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 crazy but you know that let alone you know shooting both of his parents and stabbing both of his parents and taking a shower and hiding the murder weapon and <laughs> all the other mm -hmm. stuff that he would have had to have done for those who uh, just now, very first time hearing about this case, please go check out Brandon's, um, well, I'm sorry, Scott's movie called Texas Justice, written and directed by Scott Pugnacy. Very well done. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. We're actually uh, working on changing the format of that because um, we're, we originally wanted it to just be a like a you know 90-minute documentary that we could submit to film festivals, but... We have changed the goal now of the end game of this and trying to get it out to more people. Um, so we're actually looking at talking to Netflix about it, which, as you know, there's oh, that would be you know, awesome. most of the yeah most of the true crime uh, documentaries on there are like four and five six part docu series. Right. So mm -hmm. We're actually in the process of trying to change that format and uh, kind of slow it down a little bit, make it a little more artistic and visually appealing and. Uh, submitted to Netflix, and hopefully they are interested. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, we need to take a break in just a minute, but um, you've been doing a podcast. Where can people find the podcast? What's it called? Sure, it's the American Justice Podcast, and uh, fittingly enough, it's AmericanJusticePodcast.com. <laughs> that that, that's just the, uh, creative. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I try to bring up my creative side when I'm doing things like this. See? But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, that has all the episodes, all the past episodes. And uh, we are now to the point where uh, with the release of the uh, closing arguments and the verdict uh, this morning, actually, 
Uh, we only have two episodes left, which is kind of a wrap-up and just talking about Brandon's appeal. So uh, if anybody wants to go binge listen to it, uh, they can pretty much get the whole case, um, you know, up until now. Um, every uh, upcoming two case, the two uh, episodes upcoming are just, like I said, just kind of wrapping things up and, and just talking about the status of its appeal. And you're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Ron Landis. And we'll be back with more of Lambda Weekly right after this. KNON has won the best music radio station in 2020 from the Dallas Observer and the Survivor Award from the Fort Worth Weekly. More inf information at knon.org. Are you registered to vote? Uh, tomorrow is the last day to register. That's tomorrow, October 5th. Make sure you're going to, uh, make sure you go to votetexas.gov. Early voting begins on Tuesday, October 13th. You, can, you can't vote if you're not registered. For more information on registering to vote, to see if you're registered to, or to register to vote, go to votetexas.gov. I just did it, it's very, very easy. All you do is put in your name, your county and your birthday, and boom, it'll tell you if you registered or not. It's very easy. It's very easy. Yeah, and there are going to be more uh, early voting locations in uh, Dallas County than there have ever been before. Right. Um, we're talking to Scott Pogansey. We're talking with him again about the Brandon Woodruff uh, murder case, or Brandon Woodruff's, the case that Brandon Woodruff was convicted of that he couldn't possibly have done. Um, Scott has been a crusader for Brandon for a number of years now, and he's made a documentary about him called American Justice. Yes? Texas Justice. Texas Justice. Yes. I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> uh, and uh, has supported his appeals to the Texas Supreme Court uh, of, of criminal appeals in the U.S. Supreme Court. You, last time you were on, you had uh, those um, appeals pending, Scott. What happened with them? Um, so the the so there's two different um, just to give a, a little quick synopsis. There's two different issues that were being appealed. Um, the first issue was a federal issue, which was going to the Supreme Court. That was an issue on Brandon's phone calls uh, that he was making to his attorney, being monitored and listened to by the state of Texas or the district attorney's office in Hunt County. That was a federal issue that was basically saying that his Sixth Amendment violation, uh, Sixth Amendment constitutional rights were violated, um, which was really not up in the air. The judge did declare, the trial judge declared that they violated his Sixth Amendment rights. The only issue was, how do we fix it? And the way that the state decided to fix it was they appointed special prosecutors with the Attorney General's office. Um, of course, Brandon's opinion was and, and his attorney's opinion was that they should have dismissed the charges you have a u.s constitutional violation that you know state doesn't get to do that automatically dismiss the charges mm -hmm. so because there was an argument going back and forth they had to appeal it all the way to the supreme court uh the supreme court only hears about one to two percent of the cases that are actually appealed to it we felt like we had a good chance because there was a differing opinion amongst the federal circuit court um, you know some cases some were saying like I think the one in DC and uh, possibly the one in New York was saying that if there's a constitutional violation it's an automatic dismissal 
Of course, the ones in the South were saying, no, 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 it's not an automatic dismissal. You have to prove that you were actually harmed. Uh, and then, you know, so there were all these differing opinions across the United States in these federal circuit courts. Well, the Supreme Court's only job is to basically take, you know, to settle disputes among the other federal courts. So we felt like we had a really good chance, but unfortunately they refused to hear the case. So, of course, once it's appealed to the Supreme Court and they deny hearing it, then there's, you know, there's no uh, other option. Mm -hmm. The other issue was a, was a state issue, uh, and that's the one that actually goes to the uh, Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. And um, that one is, was basically a factual uh, issue, uh, saying that there were no, not enough facts to actually uh, convict Brandon and, um, you know, that the, his the conviction should be overturned because of that. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals also refused to hear the appeal. So Brandon has never had an actual appeal heard in court um, at the highest level. There was one um, appeal that was heard at the uh, kind of the local level, if you will, um, but that one um, was was denied as well, just without going into too much legal de uh, detail. But basically they said, we have a lot of uh, problems with the evidence in this case, but that's not really our job. Our job is just to determine if there were any procedural errors. There were no procedural errors, so you're going to have to appeal it to a higher court, and that's what they did, and the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals refused to hear it as well. So can you, or not you personally, because I know you're not the attorney, but can cases be resubmitted to the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, even if they're um, denied? Not, well, the Supreme Court, the issue that is being appealed is, is dead. Um, if there are other federal issues that they can uh, come up with, then they can always appeal that new issue. But as far as the Sixth Amendment violation, there's not really. It's pretty much. It's pretty much dead. There's nothing that they can do with that um, because if they even tried to appeal it to a lower court again, you know, they would automatically kick it out, saying, "Hey, the Supreme Court has has weighed in." Because even though they basically refuse to hear it, that is weighing in. But yeah, that is weighing in. It's, yeah, it's de deferring to the lower courts, which obviously did not uh, uh, rule in Brandon's favor. Mm -hmm. um, if there's a new information, some new facts that come out, uh, and th since it was not um, submitted at trial, the fact that Mike's, Mike knew that this computer was missing and he was the only one who knew it, and so therefore he's the only one who could possibly have been on the scene, can that be appealed? Um, so, so that's pretty much the only appeal that's left to Brandon is what's called a writ of actual innocence, um, which is something that you bring to the original trial court. And you come back and you basically you say in, in legal means that uh, uh, I'm not guilty. I can prove that I'm innocent, and here's how. Mm -hmm. And what you do with that point is you have, you know, bullet points basically that say I'm not guilty because of this and this and this. And you list all the different um things that show that you're innocent. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what he's, his attorneys and his investigators are researching right now. They're trying to get that particular writ um, 
formed so they can file it with the court. I'm not 100% sure whether or not that particular issue can be raised, but I do know that he has uh, some other, um, I feel like, pretty strong issues that he's, uh, that he's raised. I, I would think some form of it could be submitted, you would think. Well, so. the problem is, and one of the rules is that it has to be new evidence. And just the fact that, um, that the tape or the interview was made available to the defense and they just didn't use it for whatever reason, um, that could be construed as it was just trial strategy. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to get around, you know, that whole trial strategy mm -hmm. um, argument. So uh, he was sentenced <laughs> to, uh, he's been in there for 15 years. How, how, what was the sentence? Life? Yeah, life without parole. Yeah, without the only parole. way that he will get out of prison is if uh, one of his appeals works. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay, so let's go to another clip from uh, the podcast. Uh, what's on clip two? So clip two is uh, it's actually pretty interesting. Um, I have inter uh, interviewed several people um, that knew Brandon, that knew uh, Mike, that knew some of their friend group back then, um, that uh, several of them have not wanted to come forward because they were very afraid of Mike and uh, these other people. So one person did agree to an interview, but this person, I'm being very uh, <laughs> careful with gender because uh, this person's identity was hidden and I had to uh, change their voice, okay. change uh -huh. their appearance, you know, the appearance was blacked out, uh, so you can't tell who this person is, but this person knew uh, one of Brandon's friends named Joe Hageman. Um, Joe was kind of in the same group as Brandon and Mike and uh, their other friend, Dusty Perry. That They were like the group that hung around together. And uh, she basically is, uh, <laughs> this person is basically saying that, um, that they were very afraid of Joe for um, the kind of, um, the kind of, of actions that he had done uh, before. Okay, let's listen to it, Josh. I met with a friend, she showed me a document, a snippet of a documentary, and it clicked to me like that. I was like, Joe told me all about that. Joe said, my friend's parents were murdered. They think it was some kids from school. I didn't understand if some kids at school did it, but already Brandon sitting in jail and I'm hearing about it two years after, in 2007. The general public thinks that Brandon did it. The prosecuting attorney thinks that Brandon did it. Everyone's led to believe that Brandon did it. I 100% believe that Joe had something to do with the murder of Dennis and Norma. I just want everyone to know I've never met Brandon. I've never spoke to Brandon. I wouldn't know Brandon if I passed him on the street. I do, however, know Joe Hageman. The reason I came forward is because when I saw the snippet of the trailer that, for the documentary, there popped Joe's face. I got in sick to my stomach. My stomach dropped when I saw that because I then realized at that moment that I knew what was going on. I, that Joe told me about a murder that he's obviously involved in. And I don't want to see Brandon sit in jail 
for something he didn't do. Again, the dramatic music. Uh, Josh, could you fix that for us? <laughs> no, I, I love it. So basically, well, I mean, she this... just dropped the mic, so I had to raise the music mm -hmm. up a little. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is basically kind of like a new witness. Um, I mean, yes and no. It's definitely something that can give background to you know other people and kind of show traits, I guess, about that person that may make them look suspicious, but you got to remember the problem is when you're going in with this writ of new, uh, this writ of uh, actual innocence, you have to bring things that prove you're innocent and just kind of, you know, casting shadows on someone else doesn't necessarily prove, you know, it's like, yeah, Joe may be a, a horrible person, but that doesn't mean that you didn't kill your parents. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so that's, that's kind of that you know it's a very fine line as to what evidence can be brought with that uh, with that new writ or that new appeal so has and, and I'm sorry what's the guy's name who was being being uh was brought up as a suspicious mike mike so has has mike uh contacted or contacted you or anybody to say hey no I didn't have anything to do with this or does he even have any idea that he might be kind of uh, suspicious right now. Yeah, well, I mean, he knows that he he was even brought up in trial as as much as possible. Like, for example, he told Ranger Collins that he was in bed asleep by twelve thirty in the morning, mm -hmm. the night of the murders, and then you know, turns out after <laughs> after Ranger Collins got the phone record six months later, after Brandon's been in jail for six months. Um, no, turns out Mike actually made a phone call uh, within three to five miles of the uh, the cell tower, within three to five miles of the actual murder scene. And, and one of the things, um, Scott, that's really relevant is that um, Brandon's phone records for the day are missing. To this day, right? Exactly. There were 14 hours missing of Brandon's phone records, and... You know, the, the big key of that is that the one phone call out of all these 14 hours that could prove that Brandon was innocent, there was a 941 call between him and his girlfriend. And if that was, if, if they actually had the cell tower location, it would have proven that he was over at the house in Heath, which was 25 minutes away. Uh, at the time that the murders were going on. So if they had those phone records, Brandon never would have been brought to trial. But right, and conveniently the thing with the house, thing with the house uh, his parents were in the middle of moving from Heath to... Uh, to Royce City. To Royce City, 25 miles away, and he right. needed to prove it. Um, is that something that can be appealed on? that the phone company provided records conveniently for the day before and week before and day after, but didn't have for that day. Shouldn't an appeals well, we court be least, looking? We had at least um, three weeks of Brandon's records, and this was the only day that was missing. Uh, the problem, as, as we referenced earlier, is that these that it was brought up in court. Like, it was, it was established in court that these phone 
um, calls were missing. And basically the state's phone expert said, well, the, we just weren't given all the records because Singular and AT&T were merging and uh, it would just happen to be that he was on these Singular towers and they just didn't send us those records and blah, blah, blah. Um, but the problem is, like, like you just said, is that, you know, it's the only day where there's calls missing. So, um, unfortunately, that were they not uh, merging was already brought up. W were they not merging the day before? <laughs> that's, that's the trial. So it's not um, the only way that we would be able to um, to claim or bring new evidence is if we were somehow able to get those phone records to, we believe, and this is just our opinion, but we believe that the, that the state uh, investigators, the deputy marshal that interpreted these phone calls, um, actually deleted these phone calls purposely. And uh, the reason for that is because we found out through my investigation that um, the phone records that the state and the defense had were not the original records from the phone company. The phone company sent the records to the deputy marshal, and then the deputy marshal took those phone records and created his own report. So that is, you know, if that's not suspicious, I don't know what is. Hmm. It is. Why don't we take our break? <laughs> uh, you're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM. I'm Dave Taffet here with Laron Landis. And we're talking to Scott Pogancy. Uh He is talking about the Brandon Woodruff case, which he updates us on. Oh, every six months or so. Um, we'll be back with more right after this. And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here with Leron Landis. Um, Scott, we are social distancing here at KNON, uh, which is why Patty is not here today. And it's why we end our shows right now 10 minutes before the hour. Um, we'll be playing music those last 10 minutes while we wipe everything down, change the windscreens. Um, and make it as safe as we can for each other. Um, so I want to get right into this last clip that you have. Do you want to set this one up? Absolutely. This is one that I believe and, and hope that really resonates with your audience. Uh, Ranger Collins, in his investigation, had the running theme that if Brandon can lie about his sexuality, if he can lie to uh, his church friends and his school friends and uh, his family about him being him being gay. Well, then he can definitely lie about killing his parents. Because they're the same thing. Yeah. Well, uh, to Ranger Collins, it is, and mm -hmm. that's and that's the problem. That's what I try to um, you know to bring out to to our community is basically you know, hey guys, if Ranger Collins with his homophobic attitude toward uh, this investigation can arrest Brandon because he's hiding his sexuality. If it can ha happen to Brandon, it can happen to any of us. And that's why I really feel like, you know, that this community is um, particularly targeted by Ranger Collins. And, you know, there's several points in his uh, investigation where he says these exact words. You know, if he can lie about his mm -hmm. sexuality, then he can lie about killing his parents. And this is just one example of, of many times that he says it all throughout the investigation. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so... Talk, oh, just to give you yeah. kind of what, who he's talking to. Um, so one of uh, Brandon's friends, that one of his gay friends that he went to the S4 with and all of that, uh, his name is Alex Ruley, who has unfortunately passed away since, uh, since this 
uh, trial, but mm. uh, but he's talking to Ranger Collins, and uh, he, you know, they're they're talking about this whole concept of well, if you can lie about you know your sexuality, you can lie about killing your parents, and uh, so this is this is a person that Brandon was dating uh, at the time, and you know, and Ranger Collins kind of gives lip service to, oh, well, we don't care if he's gay, but. He's telling us that he's straight and blah, 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 which is not true because Brandon never told Ranger Collins that he was straight. He just never asked him if he was gay. And, <laughs> you know, um, so, but anyway, so, so this running theme of this homophobic attitude is, uh, this is just one example. Gay stuff in there or something that he didn't want his friend to see because he like, said Rob was straight and didn't want him to, you know. Okay, that's what he told me. Well, and now that's something too because he's he's telling us that no, I'm straight. I've got a girlfriend and all that. But we're hearing from friends, you know, that that he is gay. But I mean, if you're going to lie about something little like that, then you know, are you going to lie about something big? I mean, if you can lie about your sexual orientation, then you ought to be able to lie about something big. I mean, he told me that he was out. You know, his dad knew and everything else and. Get a good relationship with them and everything else like that. I mean, okay. When did he tell you that? Um, just probably a few weeks ago that he told me you know his dad found out or something like that, and that his dad was really cool about it. There's that phrase again. If Brandon can lie about something small like his sexuality then he can lie about something big like killing his parents. I told you guys that this sentiment would come up over and over and over again in Ranger Collins' investigation. Also, remember when I shared during Susan Constantine's episode about how we felt like Ranger Collins was mostly a stand-up, honest guy, but his homophobia and preconceived notions would prejudice his investigation? This is what we're talking about. The notion that someone can murder both of their parents just because they're going through a completely normal coming out process is just abhorrent and disgusting. Yet it comes up in the investigation of Brandon Dale Woodruff over and over again. It's shameful. Okay, so the one point he brings up is, well, he told me he had a girlfriend. Well, he did, didn't he? He did. Yeah, yeah, he had a girlfriend for several years, and like I said, it was it was just one of those things that he was. I mean, as as we can all, <laughs> you know, we can all uh, uh, relate to the 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 struggling back and forth of, you know, do I like guys or do I like girls or do I like both or you know, I mean, he was in the middle of struggling that with himself. Well, the other part of it was, and, and they did not have a discussion about this because Ranger Collins was so homophobic he couldn't even broach the subject of sex. He had a girlfriend, so they went out. They went to the movies. It had nothing to do with sex, necessarily. Right. That's exactly right. And, and from several people, uh, Brandon and his girlfriend uh, both, they say that this was, it was definitely not a sexual relationship, but that was not something that, as you said, Ranger Collins was interested in hearing. Um, can that be brought up on appeal in some way? You know, it, I, um, I really would hate to trust the Texas courts to say, yeah, he was discriminated against because he was gay, but he was. But essentially, that's what he was convicted of. Mm -hmm. that's, 
exactly. And that's, that's because that's they, what this old is going. Exactly. That's what you're going to No, it's not like the institution just stood up and said, hey, guys, we got this gay guy over here, and obviously he did it. Um, they just used that coming out process to vilify his his character and, and assassinate his character. And, you know, if he can lie about being gay, then, you know, he could lie about his his friends and his finances and his killing his parents. Like, it's all the same, you know? I, I think what Ranger Collins didn't understand was when he said he had a girlfriend, she was a girl, she was a friend, they'd been close, <laughs> they went out. Right. And he didn't understand that kind of relationship in in somebody who's all of 19. You know, some people right. come out and are sexual at younger ages, but 19 for somebody to come out is very normal. Yeah. You know, what, what, and, and also the Sixth Court of Appeals, uh, went, like I said uh, earlier, Brandon did have that one um, hearing for an appeal that was uh, just what's called a, a direct appeal, which is basically just saying, were, were there any procedural issues? And in the opinion, uh, or it, or within the oral arguments, I don't remember which one, but one of the judges was grilling the state and saying, wait a second, so I know that the state doesn't have to prove motive, but isn't it true that one of your motives is that Brandon was hiding his sexuality and he was experimenting with uh, being gay and all of this stuff, and the state agreed, and then the judge came back and said, well, I mean... <clears throat> If that's, if that's the case, we're going to have to put barbed wire around every college in Texas because that describes pretty much half the college students in Texas. And, you know, and so it's good that they recognized that that was a bogus motive. Right. Uh, but the problem was, like I said, with that particular appeal, it was only a procedural thing. And they said in their opinion, we have a lot of issues with the evidence in this case. But that's not our job. You have to appeal it to the higher court, mm -hmm. and as we all know, the higher court will not hear his appeal. Wait, we only got about a minute and a half left, but I just wanted to point out, this <laughs> happened back in, when you hear about this case, it sounds like something out of the 70s, or even <laughs> 60s, because yeah, you're thinking there's no way something like this could happen in the 2000s. This happened in 2005 or four. 2005, 15, yeah, 15 years ago. So it's not that long ago that a kid was convicted solely because of a homophobic um, inquiry that sat there because he was hiding his sexuality. Mm -hmm. That was good that, that he was lying about something bigger, i.e. killing his parents. That's not that long and I think ago. That's exactly right, Lauren. I think, uh, I guess the parting word here is, I think it's very important uh, to point out for everybody in the audience to realize is that it's not like we're just trying to ignore evidence that showed that Brandon was guilty. There was literally, in fact, in today's episode, I played the exact closing arguments from the state, uh, from the trial transcript, and there is nothing in there where they even talk remotely about proof or evidence that Brandon was at that house when his parents were killed. It was all, you know, Brandon's a liar and and Brandon's, uh, you know, telling all these fibs, and you really can't trust anything Brandon says, and blah, right. blah, blah. You know, so it's very, it's not like there's any evidence that actually shows that he's guilty. Yeah, um, Scott, uh, one last, we, we're out of time, but uh, how is Brandon doing right now? You know, he's doing all right. Um, he's down in the Styles unit, which is in Beaumont, which is a very uh, kind of uh, lawless uh, a unit, so... 
Um, you know, he's a he's a, a, a frail kind of gay kid, you know, in the middle of all these criminals. And uh, so it's, we're always scared about any, mm-hmm. you know, any news that we get from him. So he's doing all right. Do they have a gay so unit in that prison? Um, he's in what they call protective custody. Yeah. But the problem okay. is that he's in protective custody with a bunch of other people that are in protective right. custody. Right. And they're all a bunch of, you know, <laughs> scheming people down there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, give me a call next time you have new news about this. I know you will. Absolutely. Thank you very well, much. I appreciate for, you. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I appreciate you guys letting me Thank you very much for being you. with us today. Thanks, and Scott. And for all Talk of us at later. Lambda Weekly, we'll see you next week.